Welcome to Idaho Speakeasy. We're on a mission to uncover and share the stories of Idaho's finest entrepreneurs, community leaders, local icons, and those who are impacting our community. I'm Mike Turner, and today in the Speakeasy, we have Jennifer Solinsky. Jennifer is the executive director for the Idaho Anti-Traffic Coalition. She's here to tell us more about it. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, so um, let's just, just jump right into this, Jennifer. I mean, when you hear anti sex trafficking mm-hmm. kind of stuff in Idaho. It's kind of like, what, what, what? Yeah. Um, we, I feel like we're fairly removed mm-hmm. from the stuff we see on TV. We're not in the big city where you think that would be more prevalent, but obviously there's something going on. There's, there's, there's obviously some reason why there is this coalition. Mm-hmm. So tell us what this coalition is and why, why, why exists. Yeah, so the coalition kind of um, came about about a year ago, and at that time, um, a few community members, those who just had a heart to address this issue, coming from different backgrounds, uh, meeting monthly just to discuss um, goals and you know future activity. And so I came into the position as the executive director about eight months ago, where um, it was clear this is definitely um, a hot topic something that has uh, received a lot of national attention. So I think um, as far as Idaho, what we've recognized is that we just, we, we love our state and we love um, the beauty of it and the things that we're able to access. And so as far as um, dark, hard topics like sex trafficking, mm-hmm. it's just simply not on the radar. Um, but we would be about anywhere from 10 to 15 years behind some states addressing this issue. Okay. And uh, we're recognizing that there are some, quite a few reasons why Idaho is starting to get on the map. And really it's because we've become a good hiding place. And we don't have specific laws that... Um, that people are afraid of individuals so that would be buyers and sellers if they're not afraid of our laws then this may be a place that uh, they want to come to we also are seeing that there is a demand here in idaho for those who want to purchase individuals Um, and then we have the i-84 corridor which just happens to be really easy access for traffickers okay um so so what do you mean i mean i mean i mean everyone who's probably listening to this has probably driven up and down the i-84 mm-hmm. car- uh, corridor um so so that's that's a target targeted place it is it's easy access for those coming into our state um those who may actually live here natives they um but those are the they they target hanging out in those places so our hotels that are maybe off the highway, um, our resort towns, mm-hmm. and um, or truck stops. 
And so those are going to be your primary locations. I would say right now, um, some law enforcement would just estimate maybe about 80% of the transactions happening within our hotels. And so it doesn't need to be a low end and it doesn't need to be a high end. It's any hotel. Okay. And so they, they're not exempt from this, uh, regardless of their demographic. Mm-hmm. And um, they, these are accessible through communication, through um, specific apps on the phone. It's going to be dating apps typically. The traffickers are now just communicating with our buyers on scheduled events. We'll be here. Here's your options. And they um, and they book out. Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately, we have um, individuals who are now um, just in and out of hotels. So we would that would be one of our biggest challenges and our biggest um, a big push for hotels to come up with some protocols and um, really some strict rules. Okay, well, so, um, I, so just to kind of address a, a question though, a lot, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure you get a lot in that, um, I'm sure to people, some people might be listening to this and think, well, maybe those people, you know, is it really sex, you know, trafficking or mm-hmm. is it, you know, like, are these, are these women's doing it, you know, f- for entrepreneurial reasons mm-hmm. or right, you know, that's their, their decision. Or is there somebody else who's, you know, like a pimp or whatever mm-hmm. involved? So mm-hmm. what, what have you learned so far about that? Yeah. So what we are learning that that there's a um, that's an old kind of stigma right. um, as far as prostitution. Uh, we've already identified through federal laws that children cannot be prostitutes. So right. anyone under the age of 18, of uh, that's there. There is no such thing as consent. Um, so that would be considered trafficking. And anyone over 18, I think we forget or we somehow um, miss this point, and that's children grow up. And so if you've been involved in this uh, cycle, this vicious cycle, and it is through force and coercion and fraud, um, potentially um, through uh, drugs, addiction, Mm -hmm. some form of, um, or kidnapping, I mean, really across the board. And um, through those transactions, unfortunately, these individuals are, um, they're owned. They're forced into this. So they grow up, they transition, they turn 18, 19, where now the laws aren't as supportive. And so we're really pushing for um, our systems to not only identify those who are at risk or a victim of sex trafficking, but to also remove the punitive process and support them. Wow, this is a really tough topic to discuss because, you know, uh, it, having daughters myself, you, know, you just can't help to think mm-hmm. of, you know, the worst, worst kind of things. And, uh, and those things are happening. And yeah. it's kind of shocking just to know, just to hear how potentially how prevalent it still is. It is. Um, so Jennifer, what, so what's your background? I mean, how, how did you end your, find yourself as the executive director for yeah. this coalition? So my background is um, in disability, okay. um, advocacy, and um, working 
for years uh, as the program coordinator with Idaho Parents Unlimited, uh, the statewide parent training and information center and the Family to Family Health Information Center. Um, and so my background is really working on systems improvement, um, really pushing for systems to work for those with disabilities or special health care needs or mental health disorders. And, um, and then my husband and I, we have four kids ourselves, but one of our kids who um, happens to be adopted from the local foster care system is uh, not only been a product of uh, abuse and neglect in her early years, um, which includes sexual abuse, she um, has significant mental health issues. And through the process of uh, finding our family in crisis for years and years and years, we had to place her outside of our home in a residential care facility. And within about six months in that care facility, um, we found that the caregivers were sexually abusing the kids in their care. And so that's in our own oh backyard. Gosh. And though she's not a victim of trafficking, um, she's certainly a victim of um, abuse and sexual assault, um, child exploitation, lewd conduct, all of those criminal activities that come go hand in hand with trafficking. Mm. And so recognizing the need for systems to support families, systems to, fo- to support kids at risk, so children like my daughter who um, come from the foster care system, whether it's revolving, homelessness, um, those who come from maybe a family structure of abuse and neglect, maybe substance abuse. Um, it's, it's a critical topic. So I've, that's how I found myself in this position, really looking at probably the most underserved population, um, those that are just simply not on people's radar so if we're addressing all of the at-risk populations, the one population we're missing is trafficking victims. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So um, this is obviously a really important issue. And I'm going to attempt to dig deeper here because even though it's like sometimes the last thing you want to talk about because it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it makes it more real the more we, we talk about it. It's true. But all, all the reason more. I mean, so... Um, so traffic, traffickers can be, you know, uh, older boyfriends mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, all, from all kinds of, where do we see where these traffic and where, where, does, where does it come from? I mean, what, yeah. what are, what are you seeing as kind of like this, where this comes from? Yeah. So that could actually be generational. Okay. You know, we see that, um, sometimes our, traffickers, whether they be men um, or women, and um, typically raised in a household where that may be the structure. You have those who are most likely involved in gangs. Um, Oftentimes, they were um, selling some form of drugs or um, substance and recognize that selling an individual over and over and over again, um, there was a benefit to that financially, not having to reinvest in a product in order to sell, that you can just use the same product over again. Mm. Um, so as they uh, individuals, so typically traffickers or what we may call pimps, um, they, they can profit substantially off of one individual. 
And this is uh, definitely a multi-billion dollar a year industry. And so as long as we have the demand and then as long as we have individuals who um, find this to be a profitable industry, we'll continue to do so. What do you, you mentioned like, you know, just identifying this at-risk population. What are some of the warning signs mm -hmm. that uh, you look for or you know, we should be looking for to, you know, maybe see if there's a problem you know, is there kind of, if you yeah. identified some warning signs there? Yeah. Typical? And I think that's twofold. Okay. I think, um, one of my biggest, uh, just kind of like community outreach efforts are around investing in our programs that support at-risk populations. So invest in our homeless shelters, invest in our after-school programs such as Boys and Girls Club, the YMCA, um, you know, challenge the state to come up with new programs. I would say invest in our um, schools where they are really trying to um, support these populations. But those who are homeless, those who are in just revolving doors, that um, unfortunate lack of um, direct parental oversight, where we know that um, families are just struggling to make ends meet, and so working around the clock, or um, you know, where we have split families. And so identifying individuals would be those who maybe um, there's a massive shift in their personality where uh, they're tired. They may come across um, on uh, drugs or alcohol. There may be visible signs with bruises. Um, oftentimes they're exhausted because they're working evenings. Uh, maybe they have extra items on them. So new clothing, new jewelry, money. Hmm. That's usually part of the coercion where up front in the beginning they're showered with gifts. Um, and so then that's a process called grooming where they're, they're trying to get the individual to either fall in love with them or um, to see that this may be a better life for them. So in comparison to hmm. maybe being homeless or living in an abusive home why not this other lifestyle? Um, so I would say pay attention to signs that may look like abuse or neglect. Um, oftentimes you have someone who is not in control of their own money. They're not in control of their own decision making. Mm -hmm. You'd see maybe an individual speaking for them. They typically don't have access to their own identification. Um, and like I said, our bank account. So you, you would see someone who becomes uh, less and less involved in the community. Okay, wow. And what are the resources for somebody who finds themselves in the situation as far as getting help? Yeah, so very limited, okay. especially in parts of the state where maybe this uh, we have not yet seen buy-in. Uh, so if we have parts of the state, maybe in rural communities, where they're not buying into this idea that sex trafficking is happening in their communities, you may have fear um, within that structure. You may have a family. So one of the pieces in Idaho that's critical to discuss is the familial trafficking, which is within the family structure. Um, pretty common transactions that happen, whether it's a family that is elite and a big, um, well-known figure in their community, or a family um, who's struggling and um, maybe selling their children or extended family member to pay a house bill, electric bill. Um, oftentimes it's to pay a drug habit. And so um, recognizing the different types of need within um, our statewide efforts. 
But in those areas where you do have buy-in, uh, we would we would encourage people to come together and work alongside each other to address those needs. But resources are limited. You're most likely going to find resources that are attached to a different program. So the coalition, um, we decided that that would be that would be our charge. We would really come in and start providing services, um, especially identification, so appropriate assessments and evaluations that would identify victims of sex trafficking, not necessarily um, victims of um, other activities such as sexual assault or lewd conduct or, or child pornography, those types of things are relevant and typically come hand in hand, but we really see the need to identify um, victims of sex trafficking. And um, once we identify that, you recognize they, they are somewhat a unique population in that they, um, the needed treatment is years and years and years of intensive trauma-informed care supports and ongoing, just ongoing support. Hmm. So I, if you're just tuning in, I'm speaking with Jennifer Zielinski. She is the executive director for Idaho Anti-Trafficking Coalition. Um, Jennifer, so uh, tell us about the the Solace House. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's what what is that? What what do you, what do you have planned there? It sounds yeah. like it's pretty big news. Yeah. yeah, really big news. This is actually our uh, biggest goal, um, probably the center of the entire structure of our coalition, and every other thing that we've discussed are just the moving parts of Solace House, in that um, we've now so in response to the communities, um, just feedback. The need for emergency housing is critical. Um, since we've announced Solace House, I would say our phone's ringing off the hook and that uh, surrounding states and those within our state identifying or at least suspecting someone's a potential victim, they're calling our office looking for placement. And recognizing the need for emergency housing, we decided um, we'd pursue that. So we'll have the first safe house for minor victims. Um, the ages um, that would qualify for that program would be between 11 and 18. And in this structure, they'd be able to stay for up to two years receiving um, support for uh, restoration, for healing, and then ultimately independence. And that's the purpose of that program. Our next goal would be adult housing so that we can truly meet the needs of individuals who have um, aged out of this kind of a program, so mm -hmm. 18 and older. And in addition to that, I think it's important to note that for Solace House, we've decided that it would be critical um, to provide outpatient services in the community. And then that would be for any gender, um, any age, and so any individual at risk, suspected, or identified would be able to access our community-based services. Mm -hmm. And so we're projecting that um, for outpatient services around um, December. And then as far as Solace House, we're projecting those doors will open sometime around March of 2019. Mm. And a really big push for the community to just assist in 
getting those doors open. We have a lot of modifications necessary. Um, we have safety measures that we actually need to include in this house. We're licensing it as a care facility. And so um, those safety measures and the upgrades and modifications in order to make this truly a safe house, um, it, we, we need the community to really, really help invest in that, whether it's volunteerism, um, through donations, through in-kind, um, people who just truly want to continue to contribute to it, however anyone sees fit. Wow. So you say, um, so the, the first, um, well, the, the first house, the Saul's house you're mm -hmm. doing, it's, it's, it's for, um, victims between ages 11 and 18. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, uh, wow. And so, and you, you said your phone's ringing off the hook for people looking yeah. for mm -hmm. placement. Oh, wow. Yep. Man. So, and that, and we've just recently launched, you know, this announcement and, mm -hmm. uh, we recognize that, you know, when you build it, they will come. Uh, I don't think that we can even um, project how many people will be in need, mm -hmm. especially doing the outpatient services where we're identifying. Um, right now, we're challenging systems and programs who do come in contact with this population or potentially coming in contact with this population would start um, appropriately identifying. Mm -hmm. And I think in that, um, we'll we'll see a massive increase in need. Right. So we'll want to duplicate this. We would love to use this as a model. And so again, really putting um, some accountability and responsibility on the entire state to start um, identifying and um, you know, restoring the lives of individuals. And so with that, we would love to see another house in some area in North Idaho and then maybe in East Idaho. Mm -hmm. um, and we've we've honored the need to be a resource for outside states as well. So we would we we will um, definitely consider outside placement. Hmm. How did you uh, so you have a, a structure that's coming or it's in place that mm -hmm. you're hoping to open um, this spring um, in 2019. Mm -hmm. um, how did you get that started? I mean, we're I mean, obviously, um, I under, I know enough about, you know, you, you being in a new, um, you know, nonprofit. It's just like it's hard to get momentum and mm -hmm. funds going. Mm -hmm. How did you? How did that? How did that come about? So um, it is interesting. We I have a um, temporary private investor, mm -hmm. um, and he actually is um, he he funds the project currently. Um, and he's the one that, um, created the coalition. Okay. And so recognizing, um, the need through some international experiences just in his own, um, field in just serving vulnerable populations and, um, you know, his creation of multiple nonprofit organizations, mm -hmm. um, wanting to launch this project and then, um, and then eventually this will have its own sustainability through, um, donors, grants, um, foundations, you know, like every other nonprofit. So right. having that initial, um, startup, mm -hmm. it has been beneficial, but limited and temporary. So, um, so again, like all other nonprofits, you know, we're, we're in a position to, 
um, we're, we're in a position to where that sustainability is critical uh, that our state recognize that this is a need. Yeah. Again, I'm speaking with Jennifer Zielinski. She is the executive director of Idaho Anti-Trafficking Coalition. Um, yeah, that's amazing that you had so somebody to give you that kind of life to the coalition mm-hmm. and some experience and then some uh, some funds to get some momentum going. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But it is a challenge, right? It's a challenge yes. to to because uh, there's so many different needs uh, across the state uh, across all demographics um, and uh, but this one this one seems you know gosh I mean just um, I mean it's so hard to even talk about it mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it's so sad to know that that's still like a major problem right mm-hmm. and so um, um, I'm you know, hopefully, you know, this, this momentum you have hopefully started with Saul's house will just mm-hmm. be the beginning yes. because, um, boy, you know, I, I, um, it's, it's a little bit shocking to me to find out that this is kind of a new effort in Idaho, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. said some other states, they've been well yes. working on this for much, much longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, I think it's important to note that Idaho does have, um, for for the past few years, they've had some movement. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that it's uh, just unfortunately somewhat isolating, yeah. and maybe um, within specific programs. Um, so, I personally feel that oftentimes these types of things fall on a specific population, such as our churches, mm-hmm. um, or even a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe that every system in Idaho should be accountable for addressing this need. So therefore, I think the state of Idaho should really step up and recognize that this is something um, the state itself should be investing in. Mm-hmm. The responsibility should never fall on one sole entity. And um, because of its need i would i would say just even the calls that we've received prove that mm-hmm. um your local law enforcement they'll express that yes there's a need we they contributed in the feedback that um what they're coming across and what they're seeing and so we've um, identified them as a key player and a partner in this um, i do also want to note that we have some major supporters as far as um, jumping on board and endorsing this project. And that would be through St. Alphonsus um, Medical Center. That would be through Terry Riley Health Clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll be providing all of the primary care. Mm-hmm. Um, we have CARES on board. We have Faces of Hope. So those who maybe, um, those who access or utilize their, um, their areas of expertise in sexual assault. And we have other nonprofits. We have churches on board. Mm-hmm. Um, we have individuals. And we meet monthly. Okay. Um, and so anyone who does want to get involved, um, however you can, we meet monthly every second Tuesday of every month at St. Alphonsus on Curtis. And that's an opportunity to bring whatever skill you have, mm-hmm. whatever's on your heart, however you want to get involved. Um, and, and our big push is visibility. Yeah. To create awareness, to have the dialogue, mm-hmm. to talk about these things at your dinner table, to talk about them with your children, to talk about them with your family members and friends, talk about it at church, talk about it in school, mm-hmm. you know, remove this idea that this is, um, you know, a, a topic 
that should be kept private, it's not. It, it's for safety reasons. Our children need to be aware of where predators hang out. They need to be aware of the vulnerabilities of online use. Um, that's going to be your number one place of target. And so if your children, um, our children, uh, their online use isn't monitored, um, even though that's difficult to monitor because they oftentimes um, will, they'll have a false um, profile. Mm -hmm. And so they become friends, um, they groom them online, and then unfortunately at some point they end up meeting. And that can result in kidnapping, that could result in force, or, that, or the child falls in love with the individual online. Mm -hmm. And so through, so I would say just really challenging, become an expert, do your research, visit our website, visit our Facebook page. Mm -hmm. There's enough content on there that at least tell you that this is really happening. And your website is IdahoATC.org. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. um, I want to thank you for coming in, Jennifer. I've been, again, speaking with Jennifer Zielinski. She is the executive director of Idaho Anti-Trafficking Coalition, which has been around um, just a little over a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, you're at, at executive director there, and it sounds like um, you have a big mountain to climb, but uh, I'm happy to hear you have some good partners that are mm -hmm. coming in. So people are starting to, you know, to raise their hand and say, yes, I want to help. Yep. And um, again, for more information um, about this, you can go to IdahoATC.org. I'll be posting more information about this on our website, uh, IdahoSpeakeasy.com. But Jennifer, again, thank you for coming in. Thank you for telling us these uh informing us about this uh, troubling issue, mm -hmm. but this uh, issue that you are working very hard to get in front of. And um, I'm very thankful for that. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, that wraps it up for now. Uh, again, uh, tune in to IdahoSpeakeasy.com every Thursday from 3 to 4 on Radio Boise and online at IdahoSpeakeasy.com. I'm Mike Turner. We'll see you back next time. Take care. <laughs>